Marvelites, you're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale October 9th, 2019. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker? Yes. As we are recording this, we have just returned to the land of New York from the wondrous world of San Francisco where we had a wild couple days. Yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty awesome trip. I, I, I got to say for, a, I mean, a bunch of reasons. We visited Lucasfilm. We went to Adam Savage's cave. Uh, which, as a, a huge fan of both of those things, was pretty mind-blowing. It was genuinely like two, I can't believe this, life moments in two days for me. Uh, we did a special live episode of This Week at Marvel, where Matt joined me and Greg Miller from Kind of Funny. Uh, and we also had Arthur Adams on the show. That was a real fun episode. You could check that out on This Week at Marvel feed. And then some of the content that Tucker and I put together. Uh, with Lucasfilm, with Adam Savage, with Gary Whitta. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you can check that out. It'll be coming up on the This Week in Marvel feed, probably also here on Marvel's pull list feed. Yeah, a bunch happening. Yeah. Crazy packed few weeks. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, which means we got to get into the new comics uh, because we have a bunch this week. The first up on the list is Absolute Carnage, Miles Morales, number three. Written by Saladin Ahmed, with art by Federico Vincenti, with colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, there's a note in here that says, Warning! The events of this story take place after Absolute Carnage number three. If you haven't read it yet, proceed at your own risk. Uh, and it's like blood dripping and everybody's puking and dying. <laughs> it's, it's a whole thing. Uh, but yes, uh, this issue opens actually with a carnaged up Miles chomping on grumpity grump grump J. Jonah Jameson, uh, which I imagine would taste salty and smoky oh, yeah. and very unpleasant. Yeah. I would not want to eat that. That's exactly. Those are, that's the perfect lineup of flavors. <laughs> for Jonah. There's a really great scene in here that I dig inside a sneaker shop, which mm-hmm. I think plays into the just the who Miles is. It's a small character piece, but I think it's really important reminding you that Miles is a sneakerhead. He's yeah. like like his likes, his interests, he's very different than your Peter Parker or, you know, your Gwen Stacy or who, any other spider person. Mm-hmm. Um, and Saladin, he writes the heck exactly. out of this character. Yeah. Uh, and by the end there's a really fun last page for Miles. I'm excited to see where this goes. Totally. Up next is Age of Conan Valeria, issue number three. This is chapter three of Ghost of the Past, uh, written by Meredith Finch, art by Aniki, with colors by Andy Troy and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Um, This one continues showing Valeria. Uh, At this point, she has just gotten injured, and she has found some solace with a bunch of monks. Uh, Tucker, you ever get hanging out with a bunch of monks? Um, no. Hmm. Friar Tuck, though, uh, Robin Hood, is uh, monk adjacent, and uh, we share a name, so. Boom. There you go. Uh, But Valeria, she's in the care of some monks, and uh, then just chaos comes from every angle. She's a cool badass. This is a lot of fun. Uh, There's also the backup story in here, which is the fall of Thothamon, which Mm -hmm. is just such a cool story, as this wizard uh, with ultimate power finds himself without the power, and he's like getting chomped on by snakes, but they don't have any more poison. It's a really cool, weird, twisty story that I is mm-hmm. my favorite of all the Conan uh, pro stories so far. Totally. Uh, okay, next up we have Amazing Spider-Man number 31, and this is part two of the Absolute Carnage tie-in. Again, uh, warning, take note, true believers, some events in this issue take place after those in Absolute Carnage number three, but... 
what I'm really digging right now about uh, what's happening in Amazing Spider-Man, one, this feels like an issue that uh, is, you know, almost crucial for me for the Absolute Carnage storyline, like as, you know, any Amazing Spider-Man book is, it's just, you know, is adding so much to that story, particularly with what's going on with Norman Osborn, um, because he has emerged straight back into the spotlight in recent weeks. I just love any moment, uh, particularly when it's just, you know, Norman in a suit, angry at Spider-Man slash Peter Parker. Because he's terrifying. Exactly. as terrifying or more when he's like that. Yeah, completely. And and there is, you know, uh, it, it, it's such a, he's such an amazing character and there's so much weight, I feel like, between those interactions because there's so much history there and you just can feel it in a way that you almost can't feel it with any other Spider-Man villain. There's just something about those interactions. But on a bigger scale with what's going on with Norman and his psyche, his kind of grasp on reality on himself uh, is super, super terrifying and I think just works perfectly with this character. I think Nick does a really great job of writing Spider-Man beaten yeah. and then finding that next level, that, yeah. like the reserves to get up and, and yeah. push harder and fight. You know, it, He does that really, really well. He also... I, I have been fortunate enough not to be fully spoiled, or if I have, I've forgotten yeah, it, yeah. on on the identity of Kindred, who is this horrible nightmare villain guy. Yeah. But I feel like Nick is either pushing us in one direction to, to swerve us mm-hmm. or pushing us in a direction uh, for a reveal and then making us think he's going to swerve us, yeah. but not. And I love that. Like I'm not sure where he's going to go with it. It's, it makes... The chase of figuring this all out really fun and horrifying because I it just is real messed up. Yeah, and, and rare for you. Yeah, to like not know. Yeah, I feel which like is it's exciting. It's in my notes from some creative retreat yeah. from like two years yeah, ago yeah, yeah. or three years ago, and I just forgot. Right, <laughs> which is because there's too much information from all the other comics. Yeah, those, stuck pages, up there. those documents end up being like literally thirty thousand words yeah. long. Yeah, that's bananas. <laughs> All right, up next is Contagion, number two, written by Ed Brisson Art. In this issue, by Steven Segovia, with colors by Veronica Gandini, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, So this is the weekly series that started last week, uh, in which there's a contagious plague that is going around the Marvel Universe. It started in Kunlun, uh, and it's really spreading here. We have Sparrow from Kunlun, who she comes over into our dimension. She finds Danny Rand, and then together... They are starting to try to take the fight to things, uh, and they call the original plague carrier the Urchin, uh, which is a pretty neat name, and the Urchin is really gross, really terrifying. The Fantastic Four are 75% knocked out with Ben Grimm just, Mm -hmm. like, hauling them around. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of neat that he's not getting... The yeah the you know the little weird bubbles on them yeah there's got to be some Marvel universe like technical chemical genetic reason for yeah. it yeah rocks <laughs> yeah uh, while the FF gets knocked out Danny and everybody they call in some extra help so you get Luke Cage Doctor Strange Cloak and Dagger all of them rolling in but it pretty much is like disaster after disaster <laughs> in here mm-hmm. uh, the urchin being a Huge nightmare for everyone involved. Yeah. Yikesies. Uh, three more issues to go for this series, I believe. Okay, up next is my first pick of the week. It is Doctor Doom number one, Ooh. written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru FX, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. 
Uh, Tucker, you we were recording the video version of the show, uh-huh. and you mentioned you did some research on Christopher Cantwell. What do you know? Tell uh, me, tell me so the hot goss. Christopher Cantwell, I believe, is uh, one of the creators of the TV show Halt and Catch Fire, which I haven't seen myself, but I know a bunch of people who really, really love that show, including Ron Richards. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's it's always so awesome to see someone come from the world of TV or film or just other media and jump into comics because you know they're doing it because they love it. You know they're doing it because they really want to write these characters. They're in love with these characters. They have an idea that that really, you know, catches somebody for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, I think this, having read this issue right here, you really can tell why immediately. It's one of those things where a new creator comes on board and has an awesome idea, an awesome take. You can tell how much they know the world and the character, and they're just instantly into it. And there's some huge stuff that happens in this issue. Yeah. So I I was watching The Fugitive, the Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones vehicle. Listener, Uh, pause the episode right now. Go watch The Fugitive. Yeah. Come back, because there's never a bad time to watch that movie. Yeah, seriously, if you've never seen The Fugitive... You failed at <laughs> life. You can win at life by watching the movie. Some of the best Harrison Ford pointing ever. Oh, so good. Some <laughs> of the best Tommy Lee Jones jonesing yeah. you'll ever see. Yeah. It's so good. But I, So I was watching that while I was collecting my thoughts about the book. I had read this on the plane coming home from San Francisco a couple of days before. And I feel like the the... There's some synergy with The Fugitive and that story mm. and then with Dr. Doom and what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the idea of someone who's accused of doing something they didn't. And boy, golly, it sure looks like they did. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, like everyone is like, you did it. Yeah. Uh, and especially with Doom, like something bad goes wrong in the Marvel Universe. And it is like essentially signed XOXO <laughs> Dr. Doom. Yeah. Uh, and everybody's like, we're going to get you. And it also, like, it, it, to an outside viewer, it's like, oh, that is absolutely something yeah. he would do. 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. he's a turd. Yeah. Let's go get him. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, Doom is not, he hasn't done that particular bad thing. Yes. Uh, which I find really interesting because there's another bad thing that he does in this, a more, like, focused, small-scale bad thing mm-hmm. that is... Just as like violating right, right. to some people, but it is not the imp- like the thing that is driving this forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's really fun. There's a big incident near the end that leaves a lot of questions about what's going to come next, and I'm very excited to see that because you, you're putting Doom in a position that he's not often in as someone who is like, "Well, I didn't do this." Mm-hmm. It's a character study around one of our most complex characters. Mm-hmm. He's awful and terrifying and dangerous and and respected and beloved and quirky and brilliant all in the same like page all in the same breath he's all those things he's something different to everyone you know you look at the people in Latveria who treat him differently there's someone who's like gives him a little sass and he's like he's like I, I kind of like that yeah. you know every once in a while but then he's like he's getting sass from someone else and he does something terrible to them yeah. and like all these different things he is you know weird and there's this great scene with kang in the issue oh. that i was like man yeah when kang shows up Ooh. you have kang and doom speaking to each other in a room you're like this is a dream so good all right up next is a future fight firsts white fox number one this is yeah it's actually more than white fox uh we get two stories mm-hmm. in here but the first one the white fox story is written by Alyssa wong with art by kevin labranda and jeffo with colors by israel silva and letters by vcs joe sabino and this is 
part of a new series of books we're doing tied to the game Marvel Future Fight, which is a mobile game that's been going for several years now. And uh, we're giving origin stories to characters who have first appeared in Marvel Future Fight. So I believe we'll be looking at Crescent and Io and mm-hmm. um, Luna Snow and mm-hmm. you know other characters. But uh, White Fox is super cool. She is the last of her kind, the supernatural, shape-shifting uh, Tucker laughed at me when we were playing around with this for the video version of Kumiho, which may or may not be the right way to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. It is a, a like fox demon mystical entity, uh, and so she can shapeshift and do all these cool things. But this is her origin story, so we're learning about how she became like her her lineage, really becoming uh, her her growing up as this thing, the good and the bad of it all what happened to her family, how she grew up, uh, going to school, and then becoming what she is now, also a super spy, like a super hero, whether it's with the Agents of Atlas or with Avengers. So uh, it's really cool. adds a lot to this character. Then on the the back part of this issue, we have a backup story featuring the future Avengers. It's also written by Alyssa Wong with art by Ale Garza, colors by Dono Sanchez Almara with Proto Bunker, and letters by VC Joe Sabino. And if you don't know the future Avengers, it's an anime from Japan that uh, is like an original story. It takes uh, four kids. They are being trained by Hydra to fight the menacing evil of the Avengers. And then uh, the kids realize that, well, the Avengers aren't the bad guys. Hydra's the bad guys. Mm-hmm. They're kind of on the wrong side. So three of them break off. They break good while one of them kind of stays with Hydra. <laughs> so this one, this tells a little bit of those relationships and introduces these characters a little bit more to this audience. I believe we've put some of this on like Disney XD, uh, maybe on Marvel HQ YouTube channel, but uh, it's cool to see it in comics. Yeah, it's great to see like any place that new ground is being broken in the Marvel Universe, whether that's in the world of games, whether that's in Marvel Comics, to just see that and just embrace across the board and get new stories, new characters, new you know ways of, of seeing the Marvel Universe and yeah, I think with all these future fight characters, like I, I really love that. I think it's awesome. Heck yeah. All right. Next up is my second pick of the week. It is Gwenpool Strikes Back number three. And, you know, usually we like think about our picks and I, I have a bunch in mind ahead of time. And as I was going through, I knew I wanted to pick Doctor Doom and I wanted to pick the two books that you had picked. Mm-hmm. But I knew you were going to pick those. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, OK, what else? And I'm looking through and I'm like Gwenpool just like burst out at me yeah. as like the book that I, I had to pick to tell you guys to check out. Uh, this is written by Leah Williams, art by David Baldion, with colors by Jesus Arbutov, with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And it's just so fun. And it's so over the top and ridiculous and weird and quirky and aware of itself is almost like not enough. Yeah. The book opens with Gwen, Gwenpool running from Deadpool uh, because of what had happened last issue. And then she shifts over into a shot of David Baldion working at his desk. <laughs> and like she ends up making him spill his coffee. And then like this great reaction shot. It is breaking the fourth wall and then like twisting it around mm-hmm. and doing some really fun uh, satirical and, and subversive stuff with it across the board. It, it has a great perspective on the story it's telling. Uh, Leah's absolutely having the best time in this. Mm-hmm. You could tell mm-hmm. she's just having a ball. She's making jokes, making fun of herself and the editors and the characters and like everything in it. But she's the whole point of this story is that Gwenpool is 
afraid that she's going to disappear because she doesn't have an ongoing series. She's not, you know, showing up in a lot of places. So she's trying to figure out ways to stay in the consciousness. Mm-hmm. And here it's just like gimmick after gimmick and fun after fun. She had Spider-Man, now she, then she had Deadpool. And now she <laughs> she has Gwenpool's Island, which is <laughs> uh, her bringing a bunch of ver- a variety of characters to an arcade-esque uh, f- fight club type, you know, m- you know, not murder because they're not going to kill each other, yeah. but like battle arena. Yeah. Uh, and they're all in swimsuits, including yeah. her. And she's got the varsity lineup, which is Iron Man and Captain America, uh, Captain Marvel, Thor, Black Panther. Um, she's got the, quote, invented to be eye candy, but given better character development later crew, which is so good. <laughs> it's She-Hulk, Tigra, Spider-Woman, Black Widow, Jessica Jones, Atlas, Black Cat. I will combat Jessica Jones in that one uh-huh. because Jessica Jones was not created as eye candy it was very much a a, she was a character that was like not it wasn't an eye candy book at all michael gators art is really cool and complicated and weird but it's not like a shiny superhero in a bathing suit story anyway nonetheless (laughs) uh trust me i'm not doing it enough justice because it's such a strange book to try to describe you just have to read it yeah completely um, okay, now we're moving on to Invaders number 10. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Carlos Magno and Butch Geis, uh, with colors by Alex Guimarez and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Basically where we are in this story, I mean, talking about complex characters, that's where my mind immediately goes with this because we're talking about Victor Von Doom. How about uh, Namor the Submariner for complex characters? Such fascinating work has been done over this series with this character, um, taking this kind of palace intrigue, uh, this kind of Mad King idea. Um, You have Namor fighting against Cap and Bucky and Jim Hammond, and you also have Namor kind of fighting against his own people in a way. He is in just such a fascinating uh, space all on his own. And it's also an amazing meditation on like the reverberations of the past and like the effect that these things have on you um, because that in a big way is what's fueling Namor. We know that these flashbacks between present and past are a huge part of what's going on with Cap and Bucky themselves. Uh, and to see how that all plays into each other and, and uh, affects uh, what's going on right now is just super, super fascinating. And I think it takes a, a super smart writer like Chip to do it all justice. And boy, does he. Um, but what's going on right now is that Bucky and Cap have been turned into Atlanteans. That is one of Namor's new methods that he's using to uh, essentially uh, conquer Earthlings or surface dwellers is to convert them into, you know, water breathers, Atlanteans. Um, and uh, in order to fight that, Cap and Bucky has, have done that to themselves. But it's not just all that, like, amazing character work and, and narrative stuff that's going on, which is so good. It is just visually, I love this issue because there's a huge fight scene that all takes place underwater, and then there's a big fight scene that continues on out of the water. And you could feel the difference between those two things. Like, the way the characters are moving with the resistance of the water around them, you can see it and feel it, and that is such a specific skill and I feel like so difficult to pull off. And it's really just, it's its one of those things that's not a matter of uh, technical by the book. This is, you you know, this is how you, you're, the physiology of this would work. That's a feel thing. Um, okay, my next book is Journey to Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker Allegiance, 
number one, and this is my first pick of the week. It's written by Ethan Sachs with art by Luke Ross, colors by Lee Lowridge, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, an appropriate time to rereading this story, really, having just come back from San Francisco and Lucasfilm. We had a great conversation with uh, Lucasfilm Story Group member Matt Martin over there. Uh, you and me and Matt Rosenberg and Matt Martin uh, all sat down for a chat about all things Star Wars. What uh, you know, made uh, those guys Star Wars fans, what made those guys want to like be creative people for their jobs, a bunch of really awesome stuff to dig into. Um, and, uh, you know, those, some of those themes of what we spoke about, uh, one, of the, one of the things that Matt said that really is stuck with me is he said, to understand Star Wars, you don't need to study Star Wars. You need to study the things that made George Lucas make Star Wars. So you need to study... Uh, the Hidden Fortress or Kurosawa films in general. You need to study, you know, Eric Korngold music. You need to study, you know, like those foundational things of the 30s and 40s and 50s uh, that uh, were the basis themselves for Star Wars. Uh, And, you know, when you have that in mind, no matter what piece of Star Wars media you're consuming, whether it's video games or comics or the films, you you kind of suddenly can see between the lines all the time. You you can can't help but make those comparisons, um, which is so much fun. It's so much fun to do. Um, this issue, though, it's been this is another conversation that that you and I had is, uh, and I think Matt Rosenberg we were talking about this as well when we were like in the cafeteria at Lucasfilm, talking about Ethan Sachs and how he just kind of jumped into the world of Marvel Comics. He's, he's a journalist, um, jumped into the world of Marvel Comics with Old Man Hawkeye, which was a really, really excellent 10 or 12-issue uh, limited series uh, alongside Marco Coquetto, now you know probably almost a couple of years old at this point. And now it's so awesome to see that he's like one of the Star Wars guys. Like he's one of the go-to writers for any given Star Wars comic, and that's great to see, uh, especially knowing how much he loves this stuff that reminds me i went to star wars celebration 2017 and went to the uh i slept on the concrete floor overnight at this con and went to the panel for the last jedi uh where they debuted the first trailer and all that good stuff um so much fun uh during that panel, they were, like, showing little images of the different characters and things like that. And at one point, I was with my friend, my, one of my best friends, Alex. Shout uh, out to Alex. Sh- Alex, uh, going to grad school in Boston. Uh, very different lives right now. Anyway, uh, uh, and they showed, like, an image of Ray on Octo Island at that point, something we'd seen for the very first time just then. And she was wearing, uh, like, a, uh, like, a poncho. You know what I mean? It's just something that is very kind of uniquely ingrained in Star Wars, back to like Luke in Moss Eisley. And I almost cried because I saw her. I was like, she's wearing poncho. Um, I literally almost cried when I was in there seeing that. So anyway, that's how deeply all these things affect me. I just love it so much. Uh, we get some awesome, uh, one of my favorite things, Star Wars monster action in here, which uh, I just can never, ever get enough of. Uh, we get Finn and Poe. Uh, and their relationship, which if you're a fan of, dig in. There's so much here with regard to that. And then we have Kylo being Kylo, Kylo doing Ky- Kylo, you know, 
you know, angry guy stuff. Uh, okay, moving on now to Loki number four. This is written by Daniel Kibblesmith with art by Oscar Bazaldua, inks by Oscar and Victor Olazaba, colors by David Curiel and Carlos Lopez, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, Daniel Kibblesmith has been doing really excellent work here. Uh, it's been really fun to see him go from uh, doing that uh, Lockjaw limited series, and then he did Black Panther versus Deadpool, and now he's doing this Loki book. Um, I e- I feel like each of those is a step up in terms of the character's stature, the responsibility, the remit of the entire series and story, and. Um, with all that's going on in the world of Asgard and Thor uh, at the moment, this is obviously a huge story to tell. And what I love about it and w- what I love about what he's doing is he he has that perfect mix of uh, the responsibility of like telling this 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 story of a god um, and all the weight that that carries and the adversaries that you need to pit a god up against. Um, but at the same time, it can be so funny and it has these light moments that can would come, you know, just from an a- everyday guy walking into a bodega, you know what I mean, kind of thing. It's the perfect mixture of those two things. I'm reminded as I'm reading, looking at this, Marvel, the t- Marvel Twitter, uh, our friends Alana and Alex and Jen and Adri did a-, a poll on Twitter that just said Loki is hero or villain. And I remember seeing Daniel Kibblesmith, he voted in it, and he took a screenshot of his vote. It was like something like 29,800 votes, and it was 50-50. Yep. And I think that 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 is kind of, in a way, the definition of what this series is in the best way. And that is like the most fun thing ever. You couldn't ask for a better uh, uh, response to that kind of thing. So good. Yeah. Yeah, it, the book is great. Um, it's there's an ominous tease as well by the end, which mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing how and when that pays off. I think next issue, it's a like Loki, be- Loki becomes a cowboy. So yeah, yeah. get ready for that. True believers. Yeah. yeah. That's something that Daniel's been tweeting a lot. Is just like the phrase Loki is a cowboy now. Um, <laughs> just like making that statement, come along for the ride if you want to, but it's happening. Yep. Uh, so good. Okay. Next up we have magnificent Ms. Marvel number eight. Uh, this is written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Joey Vasquez and Alex Arismendi. Colors by Ian Herring and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. One of the reasons why Kamala is widely considered, you know, from her earliest very, I mean, debut issue is considered to be a kind of an instant classic is her malleability, is her ability um, as evidenced in these uh, eight issues uh, to go from... Jersey City in Kamala's home living room, talking to her parents, dealing, you know, having, you know, situations with their friends, going from that to superhero business, to working with the Avengers, um, to dealing with kind of neighborhood problems, to outer space, to interacting with alien races. I think that's all just speaks to the power of this character, the richness of this character, because if you have, uh, you know, whether it's in, a Marvel comic, whether it's in a comic, whether it's in a movie or a TV show, whether it's no matter what the medium is, um, uh, I think if if your character doesn't have the depth, um, they just can't stand up to holding that weight of, of all of those different situations. I've, I've spoken about this before. That's when one of the really most fascinating lessons that I've taken from being in uh, just being a wallflower on the, the the Marvel Comics creative retreats here is just seeing these creators and these writers talk about 
these fascinating stories that they have pitched out for the next year, two years, three years. And then they all talk about it and they say, what if this happened? What's going to happen with this character? What's going to happen with this? What's your reasoning here? Oh, it would be cool if this happened. In the strongest stories, there's never a pause. There's never a break. You always – the response with the strongest stories in those rooms is always, oh, that would work perfectly for this reason. Oh, that would work perfectly for this reason. It can just absorb so much due to the strength of the story or the character. And I think that that's uh, a perfect example of – or uh, uh, one of the major reasons why Kamala is, is such an excellent character. Um, we've seen her dealing with family issues – uh, in a big way recently, and now we're kind of back into the more Kamala as protagonist set up against antagonist situation going on here. She and her friends have been kidnapped in this situation, and it's all about the breakout in the aftermath. Um, one, I really love, uh, again, I love Kamala's new costume. It's something really cool. We have a great uh, fight scene in the woods here, which I just think is a really cool setting. We have uh, this new villain, which is really awesome. And then we're getting little droplets and threads of Uh, Other things happening. One of the questions I sat down with Saladin for uh, a quick rapid fire Q&A when he was in town for the creative retreat, the last creative retreat, maybe about a month ago now. Um, And uh, one of the questions I asked him in an interview for uh, for a video was, what's going on with that new suit? And he was like, ah, well, you'll have to see. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so I'm all like my ears are perked to any of that happening at all times. As always, it's a, it's great issue. Saladin gets it. He, he gets this character and it's a great character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Two quick divergences. Yes. uh, Before we get back to the regular comics one, I want to give a shout out to Otto. Uh, Otto. Otto. Otto, one of our young listeners who we met in San Francisco, who was so cool and so kind and asked a good question at This Week in Marvel Live, and I went to talk to you, Tucker, and yeah. talk to me, and uh, I just want to say thank you, Otto. Uh, yeah, completely, 1,000%. Otto, you're the man. Thanks for talking to us. It was so, so great to see that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the second thing is not on the regular release list, as far as I know, this week. Uh, we also have Marvel Celebrates Stan Lee. Now, this is the like program book uh, that is given to everyone who goes to the celebration for Stanley at the New Amsterdam Theater on Monday, October 7th, 2019, which, as you listen to this, would have been uh, yesterday or uh, some other time in the past. And um, I don't know if you can get your hands on it, uh, being very honest, but if you can, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. It is. uh, It's got reprints of Stan's first soapbox, uh, as well as uh, the main story of Fantastic Four number one and the Spidey story in Amazing Fantasy 15 and tons of photos from across Stan's life. And it is it's really something special. So kudos to everybody who put that together. Uh, it is it's cool. Yeah. All right. Up next is Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 11. This one is written by, as we were just talking about him, Saladin Ahmed uh, with art by Zay Carlos and Igara on uh, art with Dono Sancho Zalmaro with Proto Bunker on colors and VC's Corey Pettit on the letters. Uh, this one really continues to follow up with Miles uh, trying to figure out what the heck and who the heck Ultimatum is and what's going on. He's Ultimatum is like pushing further into Brooklyn and other places. We saw some really nefarious dealings last issue, and so you see the ramifications of those here. And he's got, I love henchmen. You know, mm-hmm. like I love a good henchman who's dressed up like their boss tells him to, <laughs> is like all geared up and done. And like these guys are all like mums the word. They don't spill secrets. It's really. Very fun, very clever. Uh, we've got all that going on. And then there's major family stuff happening for Miles. Uh, one side 
with his parents and what's going on with them, and then potentially uh, the other with his uncle. And, like, it leaves a lot of questions right at the end, like, oh, Miles, I hope you made the right choice. We'll see. Yeah. Um, Okay, next up, we have my second pick of the week, and, yeah, you guessed it. It's Powers of Ten. Uh, This is the final issue, issue number six. It's written by Jonathan Hickman with art by both R.B. Silva and Pepe Larraz. Um, At this point, it feels like... What does that feel like? That feels like... uh, the, f- the, f- the 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 Avengers finally come together, like you know what I mean, like the f- when superheroes finally started teaming up together because they've both been doing such monumental work in House of X and Powers of Ten, and now to see them together, it's really cool. Uh, then we have colors by Marte Gracia and David Curiel, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, as always, can't talk about what goes on in this issue. Nope. Uh, but um, I will say the opening page um, with. Uh, you know, uh, the amazing design pages here by Tom Muller. Um, the opening page of this one is, uh, it's always a quote. Every single one of these House and Powers issues is, is a quote by a certain character. Um, and uh, this one is, and now we build, um, which is, I, I think, you know, I think that sums it up in a big way. But obviously it also doesn't because this is an oversized, overpacked issue with so much going on. Um, and uh, it contains what uh, was uh, billed at, from the very start before these issues even started as the most important scene in X-Men history here, and, which is – images have been shown before. It's a well, convers- it, it's from, the, from House of X number one. Yes, exactly. And that is what we revisit and we get to dig into – in even more wider, expanded, unbelievable way. It's this conversation that takes place between Moira, Moira X, who we now know as Moira X, and uh, Charles Xavier. Um, the uh, expansiveness of this story really knows no bounds. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just something about this story that, you know, I think if you're a Jonathan Hickman fan, you, you're aware of his capability to do this. It's that thing of like every three pages, someone says something, you know, it's just a – it's almost like lines that are almost under-delivered, but because they're under-delivered, they f- just give you chills. Um, uh, I'm, rem- I'm thinking of w- the one where uh, – I think this was in House of X where Polaris and Magneto are on Krakoa and they're waiting for – forget who was coming certain x-men to come essentially to the island and polaris says something like ah father here they come and then uh, uh, eric says yes here they come and then the next panel is like this cool splash of these characters arriving on the island it's just like it's that kind of moment that you just get just endless supply of here um there's one that happens in here i don't want to say much but with wolverine which was the exact same thing was just like it's the thing that we know about this character in the way that it's turned around. Yeah. It's just, oh, man, is it so good. Also, he's rocking that deep V. The deep V. The little chesty hairs coming out. <laughs> You're like, mmm, tasty treat that is Wolverine. Um, they, o- overall, and this is something that we, we touched on a little bit in the video version of the pull list this week. It's crazy, given how huge these 12 issues have been and are um, of House of X and Powers of Ten. It's crazy to remind ourselves that this barely counts as the beginning. Like this is the almost the beginning of the beginning. There is so much to come in the world of the X-Men 
um, that we've like as monumental and as completely redefining as these issues have been. Uh, and there's been so much talk about that. There's been so much talk about how much work is being done in, in these stories um, that really reframes things in a way that we haven't seen for years and years and years in the world of the X-Men. This is, you know, before this whole thing started, that's what we said. This is going to change X-Men history forever. This is the next new chapter of the X-Men. And I think a lot of people would agree that's absolutely the case. Um, so given all of that, it's crazy to remind ourselves that, that, that it's barely started. Okay, so, so excellent. So much good stuff. Next up, we have Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order Dark Temple number three. Shout out to our friend from the minivan that we're driving around the hills of San Francisco with writer Matthew Rosenberg with art here by Paolo Villanelli. Colors by Arif Prianto and letters by VC's Joe Sabino. Uh, While we were at Lucasfilm, uh, we saw things that pertain directly not just to this story but to the video game that it is uh essentially helping set up we did we did what did uh, i miss uh when we were walking i i i said mm, i don't know how much yeah, i could say but yeah there fine. was someone there when we were entering the building that was like oh my god that's the Anyway, uh, it was really, really, yeah. Uh, there was, uh, uh, you know, endless stories that are coming out for that uh, of that trip. What I didn't know was the level of Matt Rosenberg's Star Wars fandom. I knew he was a huge Star Wars fan. I knew it. And I've had conversations with him about it before. But then when you're sitting in a conference room at Lucasfilm in San Francisco uh, and he's naming every single Ewok that exists by name and he's naming every – he told a story about how – uh, when, uh, uh, you know, he was like excited at the idea of like, oh man, maybe I could write a Star Wars comic for Marvel. And he started having conversations with some of the Star Wars editors. Um, he said that, uh, former Marvel comics editor and former summers editor, Heather Antos, uh, that they were having a conversation and Heather was like, yeah, sure. Like maybe we could do something. I don't know. Prove, prove your fandom name every, I don't know, pod pod racer name every pod race you know uh driver and she was kidding but matt thought she was really testing him and he just literally off the top of his head named every pod racer (laughs) and then she was like uh you know i was joking by the way (laughs) it's the it's the best and it speaks to to um how much matt loves this stuff and you could feel that in every single page okay staying in that galaxy far far away next up we have Star Wars Target Vader number four, and this is written by Robbie Thompson with art by Stefano Landini, colors by Niraj Manan, Giada Marchisio, and Federico Blee with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. It was really fun walking through the Lucasfilm offices, uh, and then we went to like the little publishing section at Lucasfilm, and then we just saw a bunch of covers of like comics for like this summer and the past three months, and like you know books that aren't out yet. And a few times we looked around and saw art of things that we probably shouldn't have seen, oh, yeah. which was awesome. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, like, oh, yeah, don't, just don't look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was like, Don't look over there. Oh, and okay, then like, I'm looking. Yeah, like our chaperone would like walk away for a second and I would like reverse steps through like and just like peek over at it, but also with an eye like on like um, and make sure that it's not obvious that I'm looking at these kind of things. But um, it's awesome to see all the stuff going on in this issue. It's a big issue because we have Valence, the bounty hunter, who, of course, emerges from the pages of the original Star Wars comics at Marvel's from the 70s through the 80s and everything like that, uh, because we kind of have 
his interaction coming to a head here uh, with Vader. Uh, It's really cool to see the work that's been done uh, by Robbie and the team uh, for this character that has quite a history, but uh, in terms of modern canon and these kind of modern stories is still, we're still getting to know in a bunch of ways. So it's cool to see a character thrust into a difficult situation, see how they handle it, especially from a bounty hunter's perspective. Um, uh, it, it's it's always so much fun. And then we have Dengar who's involved. Then we I was talking with Patrick Cotnoir, who is our talent uh, guy here at Marvel New Media. And he was on the trip with us as well. And we were talking about how I get Dengar, who is the bounty hunter, confused uh, in terms of nomenclature with uh, the uh, 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 Dengar, Bounty Hunter. Then you have the Dianoga, which is the water slime monster in the trash compactor. And then you have Dejeric, which is Star Wars chess, the little chess board that's on the Millennium Falcon. Anyway, uh, we have Dengar here in this issue. No Dejeric to be found, but uh, Magnus Carlsen maybe would be, uh, I don't know, interested in seeing that side of the Marvel Universe. Anyway, it's really cool stuff. Um, love any bounty hunter story. Give it to me a million times over. This is uh, great stuff. Uh, kudos to Robbie and the team. Indeed. Yeah. All right, up now is Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number 49, the penultimate issue of this series. It is written by Ryan North, art by Derek Charm, colors by Rico Renzi, and letters by Travis Lanham. Uh, Everything's coming to a head. Yeah. Melissa Morbeck, uh, she has her big ploy to destroy Squirrel Girl, and it goes full force. And all the villains in this issue even get their own suits of armor, which is super <laughs> fun. Seeing Fin Fang Foom with like armor shoulder pads and yeah. Modog with like a like a big mask on. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, but some of the heroes get suits of squirrels, which <laughs> is so weird in the way it's described. I read it like. Two or three times this line, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. The squirrels come up and they're like, uh, <laughs> one of the squirrels says, we're going to use squirrel suits to get Tony, Mary, and Nancy out of danger with the rest of us attack. And uh, he says, don't worry. It's like riding a warm, furry, body temperature bike. <laughs> and then <laughs> the uh, Tippy says, assuming bikes give you little nibbles on your limbs to direct you where they want to go. Uh, and yeah. just the idea of like, those little hands, just like, <laughs> and then like little bites to like move this way and that. It really freaked me out yeah. a little bit. I love it. Um, there's tons of banter and dialogue in this issue, back and forth, you know, action as we've seen. Uh, but it has honestly one of my favorite mo- moments of any comic this week uh, towards the end where a bunch of other characters uh, join the story. And I was like, it's just like this big swell, the music rises, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, your heart goes, and you're just like, ah, you know, it's like that. I come back to you now at the turn of the tide, yes, yeah. feeling so good. Uh, second to last issue, and it's, it's like never been bigger mm-hmm. and better. And man, you know what made me think of? What's You've that? watched Breaking Bad, right? No. Okay, never mind. I watched some of the first <laughs> season. Okay. I feel like it's a show I would watch, but. There's too much TV. All right. We'll revisit this in five years. Sure. All right. All right. <laughs> Last book of the week is The Web of Black Widow, number two, written by Jody Hauser, art by Stephen Mooney, colors by Triona Farrell, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Um, so, you know, when I started at Marvel way back when, uh, 2006, it almost felt like we had a little bit of a house art style. Mm. We had Steve Epting and Butch Geis and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of other artists that were doing 
a little bit darker, scratchier, grittier, very realistic feeling uh, style on a lot of books. Captain America and some other titles. Um, and the first page of this has this really cool shot of Natasha underwater, like, you know, with her, like, scuba gear mm-hmm. uh, doing her infiltration thing. And it's got this very dark, gritty vibe to it by Steven that I think fits that mold really, really well. It's it's very cool stuff. Uh, Natasha's going undercover because she's looking for some some folks. And there's just neat little bits of, like, flashback. And it, he does this cool thing where he'll, like, white out certain things that are they're part of the story but are sort of inconsequential it makes your eyes focus more on what black widow or natasha or whomever what they're doing Mm -hmm. and i think it's a very effective uh tool in this case uh in here we get to see natasha meet up with winter soldier uh have a little bit of a conversation which you know i love me some winter soldier and black widow the two of them together that's the jam uh, okay, that's what we have for individual issues on sale this week. And collections on sale include Ghost Rider, Masterworks Volume 1, Hulk Incredible Origins, Marvel 80 for 80, Marvel Monograph, The Art of Sarah Pichelli, uh Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, The Unexpected Thing, Ultimate Spider-Man, Power and Responsibility, Marvel Select, War of the Realms, The Punisher, and X-Men XXL by Jim Lee. Jim, come out of retirement, man. Yeah, seriously. Why would you Where'd leave you comics? Yeah, uh, so, it's too bad. The yeah. world uh, would do much better if he was still making comics. I know. Eh. Everybody knows I'm kidding. <laughs> Chill out, y'all. Uh, all right. On uh, Marvel Unlimited this week, we have a bunch of stuff. War of the Realms number one is now on Marvel Unlimited. If you were sleeping on this book, for shame. Yep. But now you can get it on Marvel Unlimited. You, you got start reading. The the best writer in Marvel Comics telling a story that he's been building to for seven years, and pop, it's pop. one of the best events in yeah. the last ten years. Come on. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of other recent issues, and you can find the full list. But I wanted to point out the classic stuff added there. Doctor Strange, a bunch of issues, filling a huge gap of yeah. our Doctor Strange run. Uh, that's volume two. It's the series that started in 1974, 38 through 56. You got Chris Claremont and Gene Colan issues. Dope. Mm. Uh, you've got a bunch of issues written by Roger Stern, with some most of them by art by Marshall Rogers, which is cool. Then Paul Smith and Michael Golden. Really cool stuff to add into that whole lot. Uh, and then there's a couple issues of Strange Tales uh, back in the, the, the pre-shift uh, into the Marvel Universe proper uh, by Stan and Jack and Stan and Steve. It's issues 94 and 97. Uh, I don't know why we added those, but I'm very glad we did. I yeah. love every opportunity we get to add our um, pre-Marvel Universe stuff that Stan and Jack and the team were working on. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, really cool stuff. Uh, plenty of that. Make sure you check out Marvel.com. We'll have the full list of everything added. And, um, yeah, we're rolling on. That's right. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your Universe.